Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio. So use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Dial one 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Dial 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Dial 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Dial 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit www.com M-A-H-E-L-P-L-I-N-E dot org slash problem gambling. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Dial 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia.
All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. Quick show, we're going to be hitting two games from last night. The return of Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns in a big win over a red-hot Minnesota Timberwolves team. Then we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers getting revenge on the Chicago Bulls. And then we're going to go into a game from the previous night. The Red Hot Pelicans, winners of five in a row, going into Golden State, getting up to a 20-point lead, but then once again, as has been a recurring theme throughout this season, the Golden State Warriors somehow managed to get red hot in the second half themselves and come back to win that game. And then last but not least, I'm going to give some thoughts on the latest straw poll, which has Giannis weirdly way behind Jokic and Embiid down the stretch here of the MVP race. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, Kevin Durant's reward for getting back onto the basketball court is he has to go up against one of the best perimeter defenders in the league this season, Mr. Jaden McDaniels, someone that I've had so much fun watching this year. There's been a lot of talk of his offensive development, and there's definitely some potential there. But make no mistake, Jaden McDaniels has been one of the very best on-ball perimeter defenders this year, especially guarding and giving issues to NBA superstars. The local broadcast was referring to him, to him as the seatbelt last night, and I think he's deserved and earned that nickname. It was, a, it was a very tough matchup for Kevin Durant his first game back, and he ended up having a very uncharacteristic poor shooting night. You know, what's interesting with KD is so many of the players that I've followed in my time covering the game of basketball are rhythm players, and so... When they come back from an extended absence, you almost expect them to struggle for three or four games as they try to work their way back into the flow and speed of NBA games. LeBron James, my personal favorite player, is someone like that. And even in his first matchup with the Chicago Bulls, even though he did a lot of good things, like you could tell the handle wasn't quite there, you could tell the shot wasn't quite there. That's pretty common. But interestingly enough, Kevin Durant's never been that type of guy. He's the guy that can miss an extended period of time, and for whatever reason, he just naturally catches his rhythm the minute he steps back onto the court. Most famously, you guys might remember in the 2019 finals before his Achilles tear, he had like 11 points in the first quarter of that game and looked locked in with his handle and his jump shot. It's just kind of one of his unique superpowers, but... Jaden McDaniels, testament to him, managed to throw off that trend. It was kind of an interesting combination of super aggressive and physical ball pressure, which forced KD not only on his drives to attack the rim, but KD, I've always talked about, is one of the best players in the league at working off the ball as a scorer. So like he'll kind of work his man down to the block and kind of give him a little shove and then come down like a wide pin down, which is just an off-ball screen, and catch it like 15 feet and go to work. But Jaden was doing such a good job of staying attached to him on all those actions as well as well as his ball screens that he was forcing him to curl around those because it's kind of like you're making reads as the as the off-ball player, right? I come off of that screen. If he's trailing behind me and I got space, I'm catching and I'm shooting. 
But if he's trailing behind me and he's close to me, I want to keep him on that screen as long as possible. So I'm going to curl around the screen to give myself more opportunity and give my screener more opportunity to flip the angle to try to stop him at some point as he's chasing me, right? But if you can stay attached, then you have the opportunity to apply back pressure. And Jaden McDaniels has super long arms, and he was giving KD issues as he would curl around those off-ball actions and get into the lane to try to rise up in that little 10, 15-foot area Jaden was able to give him some issues with back pressure, just pressuring from behind and forcing him to change his release. You know, Kevin Durant, for as good as he is at everything else, I think he's made massive strides as a playmaker. He's having one of his better defensive seasons of his career. Obviously, when it comes to pull-up shooting and playmaking and pick and roll, he's at the absolute peak of his game. But if there's one thing in Kevin Durant's game that you can be a little nitpicky about, he does not like to attack the rim compared to most of the big superstar wings that we have in the league, he does not apply rim pressure. And so when he's coming off of those curls and stuff, he's not looking to go all the way to the rim. He's looking to pull up. That's where he's most comfortable, even in the short, short range, like seven, eight, nine, ten feet. He's looking to rise up and shoot a jump shot. So that buys Jaden McDaniels an opportunity to get back into the play in a way that he might not be able to if KD kept his downhill aggression to go towards the rim. But he did. He had a lot of success against KD in this game. He started just two for eleven from the field, finished just five for eighteen. Most of KD's success in this game actually came kind of in their ball screen system. They had some success popping him to the top of the key. You know, classic case of he sets a ball screen and the dude who's guarding on the ball is trying to fight back into the play. But, you know, Devin Booker or Chris Paul, whoever it is, is going downhill. So whoever's guarded, KD's man is having to kind of contain them in the paint. And KD pops out to the three-point line. That's where that's open there. You can really only guard that by switching, which is something Minnesota wasn't doing. And so he got some good looks there. And I think he hit two threes in this game. That was where he kind of had the most success. And, you know, honestly, to Jaden McDaniel's credit, I thought, you know, KD is such a good decision maker. And this was an uncharacteristically bad game for KD from the standpoint of making decisions when he would get the ball into his spots rather than moving it he was kind of forcing it a little bit and I think I think KD is so it's so unusual for him to have games like this that I think he handled it a little bit poorly he's not your typical scorer that goes like hot night off night hot night off night like he is he runs red hot all the time his bad nights he'll go 10 for 22 you know what I mean so he's so like relentlessly and consistently efficient that I think I think that specific game kind of threw him off a little bit. I would just crumple it up and throw it out. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a bad shooting game like that from KD the rest of the season, even through the playoffs. Um, Chris Paul, interestingly enough, because, you know, this is the thing with Minnesota. Anthony Edwards is going to take an assignment. Jaden McDaniels is going to take an assignment. And those two guys are going to struggle. Uh, Devin Booker, most of his success came against Minnesota's bench groups. Jaden McDaniels obviously did his job. They kind of took those two guys, not out of the equation, but severely limited them. But Chris Paul was the one who found himself coming off of those ball screens open a lot, and he hit a lot of shots. I think he was 7 for 15 in this game. He was the one who kind of found himself in the situations where he was able to score. Um, This physicality, though, because like Ant and Jaden really brought the physicality from the opening tip. And it kind of came back to bite Minnesota because in that third quarter, they picked up a bunch of fouls early and then they were in the penalty the whole third quarter. Phoenix ended up shooting 13 free throws in the quarter. That's how they turned a a 10-point deficit to a 7-point lead in that quarter. For the game, they had a 27-12 to free throw advantage. I wonder if Devin Booker and Monty Williams went to the presser after and argued about how they got unfair treatment in a positive way. 
Um, sorry, no, no, uh, no uh, shade necessarily towards the Phoenix Suns. I just, you guys just know I hate when people complain about officiating. It's like one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, my biggest concern with Phoenix, the few times that I've watched him, this is the fourth game we've seen him with KD. They're a little thin. You can push them around physicality. We saw that a little bit. And then they're not going to win the rim pressure battle. And I'm not talking about points in the paint necessarily, because points in the paint is a product of a bunch of different things. Like, for instance, the Warriors are not a team that drives to the basket really ever, but they do get a lot of of paint points by virtue of attention that their guards uh, garner away from the rim, pulling everything, uh, uh, pulling all the bigs out, which actually creates open opportunities for guys like Draymond and Kevon Looney slipping to the rim, right? Well, when it comes to actual driving rim pressure, I look at that as a different type of thing that doesn't necessarily manifest in points in the paint. Often it actually manifests in higher quality three-point shots because when you drive the ball to the, to the rim relentlessly, you collapse the defense. That's when you get those really high-quality, standstill, squared-up, balanced, easy catch-and-shoot threes on the weak side of the floor when you've sucked in those help defenders. And, you know, the thing is, is, you know, before KD came, the Suns were a heavy pull-up jump shooting team. They were twenty-nine, or excuse me, second in the NBA in pull-up jump shots attempted per game. And then they added KD to the roster, who's one of the most you know prolific pull-up jump shooters in the league. And so the problem is, is it's kind of similar to the Brooklyn thing. They just rely heavily on guys knocking down tough, contested pull-up jump shots. And when they go in, everyone's going to be helpless. And and to be honest, it has worked really well since KD started playing with the Suns, but the reality is is in the postseason, there will be nights when that doesn't work, and where are your wide-open catch-and-shoot threes? Where are your driving layups and and, uh, and free, throw, uh, free throw attempts that you're going to get from that rim pressure? Who's going to be the guy that does that for Phoenix? Because Kevin's driving to pull up, but, uh, Devin Booker's driving to pull up, and Chris Paul's di- driving to pull up, and I think that's something to keep an eye on in this uh, postseason run. But that said, early returns... Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton lineups are plus 29.8 points per 100 possessions in 154 possessions. Again, super small sample size, only four games, but 4-0 and whooping everybody's ass when those four guys are on the floor. That was a big part of why I talked about how terrified I am of this Phoenix Suns team, especially in the long run. The later they get into the postseason, they're going to figure out the specific lineups and guys that they can plug in that make it work well enough that the longer this postseason run goes, the scarier Phoenix gets. But next year, forget about it. Like those those guys are going to be insane, especially if they can bolster with just one or two good, you know, uh, higher higher level defensive players with like the mid level exception and maybe a trade. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's leesa.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. 
Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There. Uh, one last note on Minnesota. I love that team so much. I know I've talked about this a lot on that show, but that combination of perimeter defense and downhill force from Anthony Edwards with Rudy Gobert protecting the back line is super interesting to me. And I've, I, but that said, like I, there's obviously a ceiling on this for right now. They just continually, game after game, run into issues in the late portions of the game, like late third, late fourth because of the fact that they just can't score in the half court. There's just not enough offensive skill on the floor. When you have Rudy Gobert, when you have Kyle Anderson, when you have Jaden McDaniels, and Jaden McDaniels has had some scoring nights. He has. But in against elite set half court defenses, he is a below average offensive player. So is Kyle Anderson. So is Rudy Gobert. That's just a lot on Mike Conley and Anthony Edwards to create shots or Carl uh, Anthony Towns if he's out there. And when you go with Carl Anthony Towns, you either have to go with two bigs, which then – messes up your transition defense and messes up your ability to cover ground in rotation because you're too slow, or you take Gobert off the floor and put Cat at center and then your defense falls apart. So it falls, falls apart. So they're, they definitely have to figure out those pieces on the margin like I was talking about, but that fundamental core of Anthony Edwards, Jade McDaniels, and Rudy Gobert continues to be one of the most exciting young cores in the league, in my opinion. All right, let's move on to Lakers-Bulls. So what did I say after the last Lakers-Bulls game? I said that, um, I said that there was a... Super unaggressive Anthony Davis, which is super uncharacteristic. He had great matchups all game long, only took eight shots. I said that Chicago's shot making was off the charts. They were, you know, the worst team in the league and making three point shots in a game. They were averaging like 10 made threes a game, which was literally dead last in the league. And they made like 14 against the Lakers and shot almost 50% in the Sunday game. So there was some shot making stuff that was off the charts for Chicago. And then they re- the guards, the Laker guards, as they've done since the deadline, really struggled with Chicago's ball pressure, and they had a million turnovers in that Sunday game. They were able to flip the script in all three of those areas in this game, and I predicted that they would go into Chicago and win by double digits on Wednesday, and thankfully the Lakers made me look smart. That could have gone south with some of those bench lineups that we saw. Uh, which we're going to get to. Lakers fans, I do want to spend some time talking about those all-bench groups. Uh, but let, let's talk a little bit about the um, those specific reversals of fortune there. So first of all, the Lakers did just bring a better defensive effort. 
Um, on Sunday, they could not contain the basketball to save their lives. There was just nonstop downhill pressure from guys like Zach Levine and Kobe White and even DeMar DeRozan to a certain extent. In this game, from the opening tip, they just did a much better job of containing the basketball. And again, like uh, uh, the Lakers play-by-play guy actually had a little statement that I thought kind of colored this concept in a really good way. He called it leveling out the ball handlers. But I've talked about this before, but when a straight line drive occurs, like when he just absolutely toasts the perimeter defender and he's downhill with force, it takes hard help. Like guys have to fly into the lane to stop. That compromises your defense because guys don't even know which guy should help because it's such a compromising drive. Now there's open shooters. You kick to the shooter. Now that guy's driving and it just becomes an absolute nightmare. But if instead of a straight line drive, you level that drive out, so instead of him going directly to the basket, he's fighting past your shoulder and he's taking like a banana route, kind of wide, that is what makes it so that he never gets that true downhill acceleration, and it makes it so your help defenders can dig from the perimeter and just kind of lunge in and stick a hand out but stay with their man, as opposed to having to abandon their man to help in the paint. That all of a sudden makes it so that those kickout passes aren't nearly as open, maybe a shooter has to relocate or you have to throw a looping pass, now that's an easier closeout. It just prevents your defense from going into those compromising rotation situations. And just in, in this game, just fundamentally from the start, they just did a much better job of containing all their ball handlers, which lowered the quality of Chicago's three-point looks and lowered the quality of the pull-up shots the guys like Zach Levine and, and DeMar DeRozan got. Just like that, Chicago started to look like Chicago again. They shot, you know, in the 20s from three. They only made nine of them in the game. DeRozan and Levine, their uh, off-the-dribble shot making went down a level from where it was on Sunday. They were able to flip that script. And then on the other end of the floor, you know, I, it, was, it was a really smart adjustment because, you know, there – there's no reason to go against ball pressure for no reason at all. Like, like you don't get bonus points by giving the ball to your point guard and having him bring it up against an on-ball defender. You just have to get the ball across half court, right? And most importantly, that's just unnecessary fatigue. I, I see this all the time when I'm playing here in town. Uh, like, a lot of teams will try to put, like, smaller guards on me to try to pressure the basketball. And it's like, yeah, I could bring it up. But why would why, why like what 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 matter of pride is that for? Like I'll typically just find the player on my team that's being guarded by the worst on ball defender or the laziest guy, and I'll be like, hey, bring the ball up, and then I'll run down. And if this little guy is going to be on me, I'm going to post him up, and then I'm just going to demand the basketball, and then I'll be able to use my physical advantages against him without having to try to dribble in front of him for no reason at all. Even if I'm capable of that, it's just a waste of effort, and it opens up risk that's unnecessary. What did the Lakers do from the opening tip of this game? Instead of having Austin Reeves and uh, uh, bring the ball up against Patrick Beverly or D'Angelo Russell bring the ball up against ball pressure, instead of even having LeBron bring the ball up against Alex Caruso, who's a great ball pressure guard, they just threw the ball to Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis brought the ball before, and where was Vucevic? Vucevic is never guarding guys full court. He's sitting all the way back in the paint. So they didn't even have to worry about Chicago's ball pressure because AD was just bringing the ball up the floor. And then from the opening tip, it was clear that their intention was to run through the post with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which is the way that this team should be run. 
And they would have won by 40 in this game if they didn't get away from it for several stretches, which we'll get to in a minute. But they ran up to the wing, they inbounded the ball, or made the post entry to LeBron James, and LeBron would go to work on Alex Crusoe, and he was either drawing double teams to get the team into rotation for wide open threes, or he was getting to the rim. And then they'd flip that, and they'd run the same thing through Anthony Davis, and they butchered Chicago in the post in this game. They had 20 post-ups for 22 points in shooting possessions, and countless more opportunities where they put Chicago in rotation and were able to play drive and kick basketball out of that compared to Chicago who had just six post-ups for just four points. So that was a big swing factor in this game. So the Lakers ended up going up big early and then almost immediately Chicago brought, I think they went on like a 27 to five run spanning the late first, early second quarters. And the big problem there was is uh, not only did Darvin Ham not stagger LeBron James and Anthony Davis properly, so you had this stretch to end the first quarter where both LeBron and AD are off the floor, which is inexplicable. But I didn't think that was nearly as bad as the staggering of the rest of the group. So think of it like this. Who are the five best players on the Lakers? I would argue it's LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, and Dennis Schroeder. I think those are the five best overall players on the Lakers, especially when it comes to offensive initiation. That bench group that Darvin Ham went with, not just ending the ending the first quarter, but even in the early second, it was just Dennis Schroeder with a bunch of guys. Or it'd be like Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder with just some guys, like off the bench. And the problem there is when you th- – this is why staggering is so important. I talk a lot about the responsibilities on a basketball court that a five-man unit has to fill. There's ball handling responsibilities. There's off-ball spacing responsibilities. There is rim, like lob threat responsibilities. There's guys who can cut and screen. That's all on the offensive end. But then on the defensive end, there's like rim protection, perimeter defense, wing defense, all those lock and trail, all those different things, right? And so role players thrive at certain things, right? Like role players can guard, role players can lock and trail, role players can knock down spot-up shots, role players can, you know, uh, 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 they can cut to the basket or set a good screen, but what they can't do is consistently create high-quality shots. And so what's so, when you have five guys like that, there's never a reason to have four of them on the bench and just one out there. All you're doing there is you're making it so that fewer of the important responsibilities are filled so all of a sudden small roles that role players can thrive in become big roles that role players are destined to fail in. I talk about this concept all the time on this show. When you create small, achievable roles, role players will knock them out of the park. When you ask them to do more than what they're good at, they will trip and stumble and fall over themselves because that's not what they're meant to do on a basketball court. And so if you stagger properly, you should always have at least two of those five guys on the floor at any given moment. If it's Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder, that's enough shot creation and rim protection and on-ball defense to make it so that the other three guys have small responsibilities that they can succeed in. Take Anthony Davis off that floor, all of a sudden on defense, Chicago can really key in on Dennis Schroeder on those ball screens. Now you've got four guys that are needing to create offense that aren't offensive creators. And that's when you see things start to fall apart. And so I just disagreed with that specific staggering concept from Darvin Ham. I thought too often he kept too many of his best players off the floor. And that was a huge part of how the starters were so dominant in this game, but the bench groups in both the first half and the second half allowed the, uh, the lead to shrink several times. That said, Every single time, the Lakers were able to respond and close the deal. LeBron was amazing to start the fourth quarter. Anthony Davis was amazing to end the fourth quarter. D'Angelo Russell made some plays, too. The Lakers looked fantastic. Um, the, the, the other example where you'll, where you'll see this 
that Denver Jokic MVP case thing where everyone's like, oh, they're so much better when Jokic is on the floor versus when he's off. A big part of that is they don't stagger. They basically do line shifts. They have a full starter group and they have a full bench group. And so, of course, their full bench group goes out there with, you know, Reggie Jackson and Jeff Green and Zeke Naji and Christian Brown and, and, and they lose because there's just a bunch of guys that aren't capable of that. Whereas if you staggered it more, then you'd have more lineups that had one of Jamal Murray or Nikola Jokic or Michael Porter Jr. in with some of those bench guys. Then all of a sudden those role players would have smaller roles and they'd have a better chance of succeeding. But instead they don't. And what we end up having, and it's I, it's not I'm, I'm not saying it's intentional for the MVP case, but sometimes it feels like that because as a result you've got these ridiculous plus minus numbers for the Denver starters and then awful plus minus numbers for the Denver bench, which inflates the feeling of value. When really what it is is just really bad strategy for Mike Malone. Like you need to find a way to give your bench units a chance by sacrificing something from that starting group. An easy way to do it from the Lakers' perspective, for instance, is like start with D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, LeBron, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, and Anthony Davis, and then about six minutes into the game, like right at that first time out, take D'Angelo Russell out and LeBron and bring in Malik Beasley or bring in De Dennis Schroeder and bring in Rui Hachimura, and then you go with this group that has Anthony Davis and Austin Reeves and Dennis Schroeder. That group's got a good chance. They go for several minutes. Anthony Davis checks out at the nine-minute mark. Then you bring LeBron back in, right? Like, if you stagger it, like, yeah, you're not going to have those amazing plus-minus numbers with your starters just playing 20 minutes a night and kicking everyone's ass, but you'll have success in every phase of the game. And then it helps with rhythm. When you have five really good players in one lineup – you're gonna have like you're gonna have even in a dominant like that first shift for the Lakers. I think D'Angelo Russell's he had like one layup in uh in kind of like in a semi-transition possession, and then he shot a catch and shoot three on the left wing that he missed. But that was it. Like, so D'Angelo Russell kind of got squeezed out of that lineup in the first shift. Now he had his moments later on, but he got squeezed out of that lineup in the first shift. That's gonna happen in almost every shift because there's five guys. They can't all have the basketball, right? And so by staggering more, you give D'Angelo Russell more minutes with LeBron off the floor or more minutes without Austin Reeves or without, or without uh, Anthony Davis. In those groups, he has more opportunity to be more aggressive, which helps him get his rhythm. That's why you stagger. You stagger so you give everybody the best opportunity, not only to succeed in all phases of the game, but to have more opportunities to be aggressive. I thought LeBron played a really good all-around game. So far, the Lakers, I, uh, I had the numbers. I tweeted them out yesterday, so I might be misremembering this. But I believe through two games now, the Lakers are plus 27 when LeBron James is on the floor and minus 26 when he's off the floor. Now, again, some of that is that staggering thing we were talking about. But also, I think LeBron's played well. He's, he's playing straight-up old man style. He did have two really nice hard drives to the rim there in the second half, a, a crossover move on Patrick – or on uh, – I think it was on Patrick Williams, but he had a really nice crossover move where he had a layup. He had another one where he got downhill and someone shoved him in the back. He didn't get a call, but everything else was savvy stuff, scoring out of the post, cutting the basket. He was active on the offensive glass in this game. He had a really nifty kind of coming along the baseline offensive rebound put back. Um, uh, he just, just savvy old man game got to 25 points, but then Anthony Davis finally brought the aggression that he didn't bring on Sunday. Again, I was very critical of him on Sunday because he had the, he had the best matchups all game long. Well, the guards were struggling with the ball pressure guards for Chicago, and LeBron James wasn't quite himself, although I, I, I thought he actually played okay in the Sunday game as well. This game, Anthony Davis brought the aggression, and guess what? Nobody can guard him. 38-10 and 10 
with four assists, two blocks. You know, it, 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 that's why I get so critical of Anthony Davis. Like, it, like there's no excuse for taking eight shots in a must-win game when we all know what happens when you take 20 shots against the same team. Like, it was, it was an inexcusable performance on Sunday, especially under the circumstances. That's why I get so frustrated with Anthony Davis from time to time. Last thing I wanted to talk about with the Lakers is this idea of running through their guards versus their bigs. One of the big things that I thought really caused issues in this Chicago game, this one last night, where Chicago was able to shrink the lead, I thought a big driving force behind that was just the simple fact that too often guards are looking for their own shot versus trying to get the ball to Anthony Davis and LeBron. It made sense when LeBron was out because Anthony Davis can be inconsistent as an on-ball creator. So like some nights you throw it to him and it works, some nights you don't. And so getting him into pick and roll is another way to keep him involved in the offense, right? But with LeBron out there, there's so much shot creation just out of the post with LeBron James and Anthony Davis that like those two guys need to be the focal point of the offense. And way too often they get away from that and run things through the guards. And the guards are good players, but they're at their best when they operate with an advantage. And when they're attacking set defenses in the half court, they're not superstars. And so they're going to be inconsistent. Whereas LeBron James and Anthony Davis will be more consistent. That's why you've got to continue to th- uh, run the offense through them. I-, I disagreed with that from a strategic standpoint. Lakers control their destiny now. They're tied in the loss column with Minnesota. They play them on Friday. So if they win that game, they won't have the tiebreaker with Minnesota, but they'll be one game up on them. And they'll control their destiny effectively down the stretch of the season. Um, to give them a great chance to end up with at least the seven seed. The seven seed to me is like the goal for the Lakers because I, I think the Lakers can beat Denver, but I don't. I wouldn't want to face them in the first round. So getting that seven seed gives you a home game against uh, probably Minnesota in the plan. And if you win that game, then you get to play Memphis, which is a matchup I really like for the Lakers because they thrive in the paint and the Lakers have Anthony Davis, which is just fundamentally going to disrupt what Memphis likes to do. And they have a lot of shooters that Lakers can ignore and uh, uh, clog the paint, which is Darvin Ham's favorite defensive strategy. I really like the Memphis matchup for the Lakers. Got to get to the seven seed to do that got to beat Minnesota on Friday in order to accomplish that. It'll be a really interesting matchup. It's going to be in Minnesota, so the crowd's going to be crazy. Minnesota's going to see it as like, if we win this, we effectively get the seven seed because then they'll be a game up on the Lakers and they have the tiebreaker, so it's effectively a two-game lead at that point. So at that, it's just vitally important that the Lakers win that game, and it's vitally important that the Wolves win that game, which should make it an all-timer. Um, and we are going to be covering that game on Saturday morning, by the way, with uh, with the rest of the Thursday and Friday slate. All right, quickly, before we get out of here, let's talk some Warriors-Pelicans. I'm not going to spend too long on this game. Um, I did do another uh, interview with the guys at, uh, um, at the game in San Francisco. You can find that on their YouTube channel yesterday. Um, the Warriors really struggled with New Orleans' length in this game. It's funny because I talk about the different types of defenders. We get obsessed with wings a lot, but there's like point-of-attack defenders, and then there's like skinny wings, and then there's power wings. I've been talking a lot about this concept. But like, what's interesting is when you have too many skinny, lanky wings, sometimes you can really struggle to defend on the perimeter because skinny, lanky wings really struggle to navigate ball screens and off-ball screens. They're, they're big targets – And fighting through screens is a game of physicality. You need to be strong. You need to be active with your hands. It's like swim moves. It's like being a defensive end. You're trying to fight past that left tackle, and it's a very physical game to get over those ball screens and off-ball screens. So really skinny, thin players who are also big targets for screens, they typically struggle to get around screens. 
but they're amazing in passing lanes. And when they stick their arms up, if you're not paying attention, you can throw the ball away. And the Warriors were just straight up ridiculously uh, sloppy with the basketball in the first half. I think they had 14 turnovers in the first half. It was a big part of how they got down by 20 points in this game. And I was frustrated watching it because I'm sitting there thinking like, man, if they can just take care of the basketball, they're going to be fine because Steph is getting open all the time. Like, like whether it was CJ McCollum, whether it was Herb Jones, whether it was Trey Murphy, whether it was Brandon Ingram, whoever it was that was getting switched onto Steph, they were, they were slow with their switches getting out on Steph. And then he was running them through the ringer on these screens and getting wide open looks compared to what Steph usually gets. Right. And so I was like, if they could just take care of the basketball, things would be fine. And they ended up finally taking care of the basketball in the second half. They had just five turnovers. There were a couple of big plays in the early third quarter that I thought ignited them. Dante DiVincenzo on a Steph missed three on the right wing. Another wide open shot. Again, if you look, just go look at Steph's shots in this game. He just got great looks. But Dante gets a dunk. And Stan Van Gundy actually had a really interesting take uh, on the broadcast after that that you guys might remember. He basically said, you know, everyone talks. And people will be like, come on, guys, let's get going. They'll get in the huddle. They'll scream at each other. They'll do all those things. But he's like, nothing inspires a team like making a play that gives your team a boost that will then become a momentum that translates through the rest of the roster. And I 100% agree. Like sometimes, whether it's a momentum, like sometimes it's just like your best player getting downhill and dunking on somebody is a good way to just kind of like bring a, a certain level of confidence to the rest of the roster. But role players making hustle plays is another big part of that. Like Steph misses a three. That's a negative play. Long threes, tip, long missed threes typically lead to runouts for dunks or transition plays. Nope, someone forgot to box out Dante DiVincenzo. His relentless offensive rebounding effort, which he's brought all season long, he gets a tip dunk. It ignites the Warriors. I thought Kevon Looney, also in that third quarter, just attacking the offensive glass, inspired the Warriors to pick things up defensively. Then they started to get stops. Steph Curry started to finally get going. Again, just look at Steph Curry's makes in this game. Just constantly getting guys like Herb Jones caught on screens because they're too big, they're too lanky, and it's just a great example of how you need more defensive versatility. Like It doesn't matter if you have Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, and Brandon Ingram if C.J. McCollum is out there and you don't actually have a guy who specializes in point-of-attack defense. Ideally, what you'd want is you want Herb Jones on a wing and you'd want Brandon Ingram on someone like... like You'd want Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, and Trey Murphy on your Andrew Wiggins and your Dante DiVincenzo and your uh, Clay Thompson because they're less quick with the basketball in terms of on-ball creation or flying off of screens. And then you have a bulldog, someone who is shorter, better center of gravity that's lower to the ground, stronger, who can fight like hell through screens. That's the kind of guy you want on Steph Curry. And so it's just a classic example of like when you're building a defensive roster, yeah, wings might be the most valuable but you can't just have wings. You've got to have guys that can guard on the perimeter. They couldn't do that to C.J. McCollum. He'd get barbecued, so they ended up going with Herb Jones. He struggled to navigate screens. There's your problem. You've got to have somebody out there that specializes in guarding on the perimeter against guards navigating through screens. But the Warriors completely dominated the second half, and they won comfortably. Jordan Poole had another good game. He's in a good groove right now. Jonathan Kaminga, uh, I thought, I played another really nice game, kind of slotting into that Andrew Wiggins role. And I think they have a good chance to end up with the five seed. It's funny because I said this on the radio yesterday, but there's kind of like two ways to look at this. Like there's the undeniable question mark, which is like, hey, if they don't have Wiggins, can they beat the best teams in the league? And genuinely right now, I don't think so. And and I would imagine most Warriors fans would agree. But like if you're going to beat the best of the best in this league, 
you're going to need your second best player. And so the Andrew Wiggins is kind of this big question mark. But I'm very positive as it pertains to where they land in the standings right now. The Clippers have a tough schedule here down the stretch, and they're only uh, a game back. Uh, the Warriors are only a game back of them. So I think there's a good chance that the Warriors end up with the five seed. And I think they're comfortably in good position for the six seed. But I think the five seed's there for the taking. And I actually really like their matchup with Phoenix. So for the Suns, uh, for the Warriors' sake, I think trying to get into that matchup with Phoenix in that 5-4 is your best possible spot. Uh, your I, One of the biggest factors there is just what I was talking about. Like The Suns have awful point of attack defense. That's a great way to get Steph Curry and, and, and Clay Thompson good looks with the way that their system is because who cares about Kevin Durant protecting the rim? Who cares about DeAndre Ayton protecting the rim? It's really just about can Steph and Clay and those guys shake free of their guards, which I think they're going to be able to do. All right, last note before we get out of here, Giannis on the straw poll. So Tim Bontemps released a straw poll, and basically it's got a slight edge to Embiid right now, very slight. I want to say it's like by two aggregate points, and Jokic is in second, but then there's a big gap before you get down to Giannis. And I just think this is insane, because who's the best player in the league? Giannis, clearly, right? Better defensive player than both Embiid and Jokic. Um, Who's the best offensive player from that group? Yeah, slight nod to Jokic probably, but then like, like Embiid and Giannis are right there with him. Who's got the best team in the league? The Bucks by far. They're what two and a half games up on, uh, or two games, two and a half games up on the field in that first uh, first place, uh, first overall seed. The uh, Bucks have won seventy five percent of their games when Giannis plays. The Nuggets have only won seventy two percent of their games when Jokic plays, and the Sixers have only won sixty six percent of their games when Embiid plays. I, I just, I, I to me, it's so clearly Giannis. Like it's close. But it's Giannis. He's better than the other two guys, both at basketball and with the um, um, playoff resume, right? Like, he's got that championship pedigree. We know his game translates to the postseason better than the other two guys do. And he's just done more within this season to impact winning. I, I just – it's – to me, the the voters are overthinking this. They've been overthinking it for decades, but this is an especially egregious example. that Like, Embiid's case is based purely on narrative. He clearly has the worst case – of the three, in my opinion. Nikola Jokic, it's based entirely on advanced metrics and inflated on-off numbers that are perpetuated by Mike Malone's rotations. Giannis is just a better player. And I'm not going to punish him just because the Bucs are a little bit better of a team that float the, the situation better when Giannis is off the floor. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. We're going to be back later tonight live with Colin Coward after the final buzzer of Celtics Bucks. Keep an eye on my Twitter feed. I'll let you guys know when that show's about to start. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I'll see you later tonight. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. 
Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.